the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. I'm going to read the first 12 verses of that uh, chapter. It is the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, and it is what we, uh, we know as the Beatitudes. So Matthew 5, starting at verse 1. This is the word of our Lord. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father, we approach your word this morning desiring to hear from you. We pray that you would open our hearts to see your goodness. Father, we desire your mercy. So help us to be merciful as we hear your word proclaimed. We pray in Jesus' name. We all say, Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to skip two Beatitudes today. I'm going to drop to verse 7. From the the, uh, the Beatitudes, we'll go back to the other ones. Uh, they are great and we can't let leave them uncovered. But because of events in the world this week and uh, uh, the impact of that explosion that took place in Beirut um, and the response of the Christians in the, the state of the country of Lebanon, I thought that uh, it would do us well to consider the place of mercy in our lives and uh, the mercy that God has for us and the mercy that... Uh, we are to show because God has been merciful uh, to us. Uh, if you read through the Beatitudes, you're going to notice that they first draw us into ourselves and then they bring us out of ourselves. They start with the idea of being poor in spirit, looking at our own hearts and see, seeing how we don't have anything to give to the Lord. Then they talk about mourning over our own sins. As we look into our hearts, as we see that we have nothing to offer God, then we mourn over the sins that we've committed against that God. And then He comforts us. And because of that, then we are made meek as God works in us. He humbles us and we turn to Him in meekness. And then all of a sudden, when, after turning into ourselves, the Beatitudes turn us outwards. And once we have become poor in spirit and mourn over our sins, now we hunger and we thirst after God's righteousness. That's probably one of the most uh, well-known verses in the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 6, 33, where it tells us that our goal in life is to seek God's righteousness first. And then as we hunger and as we 
thirst for God's righteousness, He will fill us. God is never going to deny the desire of His people when the desire of His people is Himself. We can never desire God enough. And God is never going to keep us from being filled with Him. And as we, we do that, as we turn to God, we also turn to others. And we are merciful. And as we are merciful, then we receive God's mercy. We deal with others with cleansed hearts. And then we are peacemakers. As we have found peace with God, we make peace with others around us. And we rejoice when we suffer for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So you can see this inward beginning of the Beatitudes. Finding nothing good there. Finding reasons to mourn. Find reasons to be poor in spirit. And then this moving outward uh, on the Beatitudes. In which now we, we look to God for His righteousness. And to rule the relationships that we find ourselves in. And as we read the Bible, and as we hear the Bible faithfully proclaimed, the Spirit of God opens our eyes to see whom we really are. That's the only way to know ourselves, is by looking at the Scriptures. The Scriptures are a mirror that look, uh, portray back to me, to us, exactly who we are. Uh, I think I've told you the story when I used to be a school principal, my first, my first uh, picture day. At school, you know, when uh, life, is that life touch comes in or Owens Mill, whatever, and they take the pictures of all the kids and pictures of the staff, and the staff would invariably complain about their pictures. When they receive the pictures back to approve or reject, they always would say, Oh, that, I look so ugly in this picture. And I was the only male on staff, and I made the mistake of saying, The picture's just a mirror. When they're complaining about how they looked on the picture. I've, I've learned things through the years of working with all female staff. That was not a good thing to do. Well, the scriptures are just like a mirror. When we look at them, we learn about ourselves. The best way to learn, learn about ourselves is by looking at what the Bible says concerning humanity. And we see, when we look at the scriptures, we actually see that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We see that in us, that is, in the flesh dwells no good things. And when that happens, then we become poor in spirit. And we mourn over our sins. And we become meek before God. And after driving us into ourselves, the Spirit of Jesus drives us out of ourselves. And we are enabled to hunger and thirst after God's own righteousness. Fully assured that we are going to be satisfied. And once we discover that we have no resource to save ourselves, we learn to look to Christ for everything. God wants us to turn away from ourselves and to turn to His righteousness. And in finding His righteousness, then turn to others in their needs of mercy. It is only those who have found the mercy of God in salvation that can be merciful toward others. That's exactly what Jesus says here in verse 7 where he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And you should ask, is that a quid pro quo? Are we going to be merciful to others so that we can receive mercy? Does Jesus mean that we will receive mercy only if we ourselves are merciful? Well, that's exactly what he says here. That's exactly what he says. But he doesn't say it as 
telling us that we are going to earn the mercy by being merciful to others. It does not imply that our being merciful to others is the cause of receiving mercy. But at the same time, being merciful is the natural result of receiving Christ and experiencing the grace of God. If you are truly a believer, you can't help but be merciful. And as you're merciful, you experience the final mercy of God in the day of judgment. To be a Christian and not to be merciful is an impossibility. As Christ says here, that you are merciful, you receive the mercy of God. We cannot be looking forward to receiving His mercy in the last judgment. If we are not merciful people, those have been changed by the Spirit of God. So I need to ask you, do you know the mercy of God? Do you know the mercy of God in Jesus Christ? Have you come to believe in Jesus, the merciful one? In the letter to the Hebrews, Jesus is described as the merciful high priest. And in order to become this type of high priest, Jesus was made like us in every single way, yet without sin. And as as a result, as Hebrews 2.18 tells us, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are tempted. The Son of God came to share in our weakness. God himself came in the frailty of our bodies. To share in our weakness and even experience our temptations. He knows what it is like to be us. Because he has experienced what we go through. In fact, because he he withstood every single temptation. He never fell in the temptation. He experienced the entire attack. The strength of the attack of Satan in its fullness. And he did that in order to help those who are being tempted. So God's mercy in Christ helps us to our feet when we have fallen. It defends and protects us when we are weak and helpless. God pours His mercy upon us. God's mercy pours the oil of healing into the wounds of our conscience, our heart, our memories, our personality. God's mercy supplies the place of rest and encouragement we need. In the fellowship of His people. That's all the mercy of God. And at the last day, this same God will bring final healing and restoration when He transforms us into the image of God. When He returns and makes body and soul perfect to be able to fellowship with Him. And this mercy of the Lord is inexhaustible. You can never exhaust it. You can never use it all up. In Psalm 103, verse 17, the psalmist says, The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear Him. There's no end. It's from everlasting to everlasting. I remember when Tini was a year and a half or two, uh, we're, uh, Emma and I were fighting in the living room at our house and she comes out of her room and she sees that we are distraught and she says, Daddy, I love you this much. Uh, and, and, you know, your heart melts when your little kid comes and talks to you in that way. But that's what God says here. My mercy to you is this much. And when he opens his arms, his arms just go forever. And we can't exhaust the mercy that God has for us. The most, probably the most famous mercy verse in the Bible is Lamentations chapter 3. Where there the Lord says, 
the, the prophet Jeremiah says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They, that is the mercies, are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says that we have been saved by a God who is rich in mercy. Not just merciful, but rich in mercy. Do you ever feel that you have sinned one too many times and God is just not going to forgive you again? Have you ever felt that way? Where you just every day or every week or however often you fall into the same sin and you feel, oh... I, I've asked God to forgive me so many times, I feel like there's nothing left for me. Do you feel like there's no way that God has mercy left for you because you've used it all? Be assured that that's never the case. If you believe in Jesus Christ, the mercy of God is never ever exhausted. You can go forever and God still has mercy to pour upon you. So if you're merciful, you've, you have known that mercy. You have come to know Jesus as a merciful one, as a merciful high priest who was able to deliver you from your sins. God has been merciful to you. And because we have experienced God's mercy, we must be merciful. Now, all that I'm going to say now is very, very important. But it's only true, it's only important based on one, what I just said. People my age and up tend to emphasize what I just said in the sermon. The mercy of God. People, the younger folks, tend to emphasize the being merciful to others. Both go together. And one without the other is an incomplete story. So we are merciful because God has been merciful to us. And we need to keep those two together. Now we often speak about showing mercy. But what is mercy? Have you ever talked about what, it, what is mercy? Is it kindness? Well, that's, that's part of it. Mercy includes kindness, but it's more than that. The best illustration of the meaning of mercy is the parable of the Good Samaritan. So I'd love if you could turn your Bibles there to Luke chapter 10. As we look at this illustration of mercy. And we're going to read verses 30 through 37 of Luke chapter 10, as Jesus himself illustrates for us what it means to be merciful. So this is what it says. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell up among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan... As he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. 
So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now the parable was given as an answer to the lawyer's question regarding who was one's neighbor. Uh, the, the, they had tried to catch Jesus on his word and they asked, what is the most important command? And Jesus gave, gave them. Uh, was, Jesus was right, of course. And still not, tr- not wanting to follow Jesus, they tried to, to, oh, but I don't know who my neighbor is. Who is my neighbor? And then Jesus gives us the parable of the good Samaritan. And notice that in verse 36, that Jesus asks who of the three characters in the parable was neighborly to the man who had been mugged. So which one fulfilled the law of God by being his neighbor, by loving the man as he loves himself? The answer in verse 37 was, he who showed mercy on him. So the Samaritan illustrates the meaning of mercy. What the Samaritan did was to be merciful to the man. And two things should be highlighted about the Samaritan as an example of mercy. First one is this, mercy relieves the consequences of sin in the lives of others. That's what mercy does, relieves the consequence of sin in the lives of others. Sins that have been sinned against them and their own sin. And that's important. Everyone that we're merciful to is a sinner. And they have either been sinned against or have sinned themselves. And mercy relieves the consequence of sin in their lives. So in one sense, mercy is not getting what you deserve. So when you're merciful to somebody, it's actually you're extending to them something that they don't deserve. The Samaritan took responsibility for the injured man. He ministered to his broken and bruised body and did everything he could to provide for restoration and healing, even though he didn't have to. He didn't owe that. The man didn't necessarily deserve that from him. And notice that he did not deal with the cause of man, the man's need by chasing the robbers. Somebody might say, the solution for highway robbery is for us to put the robbers in jail, which might be true, but it wouldn't solve the problem of that man who was laying on the middle of the road half dead. He did not complain about the failure of society to meet the man's need. Though there might be a time to do that, but as the man lays die on the road, he didn't stop to protest and say, where is society? We need to make reforms here because of this. No, the need was right there. And he went and ministered to the man. The Samaritan sought to work in the context of the immediate need set before him and to bring relief. That's what he did. And that's why he was merciful. And yes, there is a place for seeking justice and there is room for protest when society fails in its duty towards the needy. But neither of these things is the exercise of mercy when the need is right there. People of God, mercy is getting down on your hands and knees and doing what you can to restore dignity to someone whose life has been broken by sin. Either his own sin or her or the sins done to him or her. It's interesting that the the early church understood this parable in this way and they often actually identified the Good Samaritan with Jesus. 
The early church would say that what Jesus is telling you is a parable about himself as the good Samaritan. Now, when, when Jesus encountered those who were bruised, those who were like bruised reeds, he did not break them, he healed them. When Jesus met people whose lives were like dimly burning wicks, he didn't blow them off, he fanned them into flames. Jesus restored the weak and the bruised. And that's why the prophecy of Isaiah is attributed to him. He never passed by them. Or he never passed by people who were suffering without ministry to them. He didn't trample them. He didn't cause them to suffer more. But he healed and ministered to them. Therefore, Matthew tells us in chapter 12. That the prophecy of Isaiah. When it says that the Messiah or the Lord will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoking flax is exactly a description of Jesus' ministry. And that's a description of our ministry as followers of Jesus Christ. Are you like Jesus in this respect? It's interesting that at the end of that prophecy there, as he quotes in Matthew 12, he says that the nations will see him as he heals the bruised reed as he brings to flame the smoking flax. Are the nations seeing us as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who are merciful, as those who are not breaking the bruised, are not putting out the ones that are struggling, but are bringing people to life? Brothers and sisters, have you ever stopped for the sake of the bruised and broken? Or have you always found reason to pass by on the other side? Jesus is not talking about somebody else. He's talking about us. He's talking about his people. Remember, the, both the, it was the Levite and the priest, both covenant members of God's people who passed to the other side. So he's not describing the behavior of really bad people out there. He's describing the behavior of people in the church. In his people. Brothers and sisters, mercy does not hide behind unbiblical reservations in order to protect itself from costly service. Most of the time, that's what keeps us from being merciful. We are not willing to pay the cost of being merciful. Now, the priest and the Levite who passed by the wounded man doubtless had their reasons for doing so. I'm sure he could they could write blogs about it and uh, tell us why is it that it was right for them to cross the road perhaps the chicken was on the other side of the road so they need to cross to find the chicken or whatever reason it was they could justify they had their own lives to attend to they didn't have time for that right now they might turn the men over only to find to discover that he was dead and now they had touched the dead body and they'll be ceremonially unclean how then could they get on with their ordinary routine if they stopped to help that man? They had all kinds of good reasons. The same type of reasons that we might have. The thing is this, church. Jesus really didn't think that their ordinary routines should trump being merciful. And Jesus really doesn't think that our ordinary routines should trump our being merciful. Now, Jesus would have ignored becoming ceremonial and clean. How do I know that? Because he did. How many times we find Jesus touching a body and bringing that body back to life? How many times we find Jesus touching a leper 
and bringing that leper back to full life. And it is better to run the risk of becoming ceremonially unclean than to fail to show mercy to the needy. It is, after all, not a sin to be ceremonially unclean. It is always a sin to be unmerciful. Now, think in your head, what are the reasons for the merciless behavior of the Levite and the priest? What are things that may have gone through their heads that justified their behavior? Now, I want to suggest a few, but I want you to think about what are things, because we are people like they, just like they were, and we might come up with reasons why we would do the same thing. Well, one reason, perhaps, was their refusal to pay the cost of being inconvenienced. It would take time, it would take effort, they have to follow up on, on, the, on the man, and so on. Another, perhaps, was their refusal to die to their own plans, and to fit in with the providence of God in their lives. They had a better plan for that day than God had for them. And they wanted to stick to that plan. Now the Samaritan was prepared to pay the cost of showing mercy. And in that, in that way, he was like Jesus. Now too often we underplay the importance of mercy in the Christian life. 